You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. I have Kevin Lee. He's the head of uh, Digital Trust and Safety, the Digital Trust and Safety Architect at SIFT. The company is SIFT.com. So, Kevin, thank you for coming. Great to be here today. Yeah, tell me about SIFT. What's the premise of the company? So, we were founded back in 2011 out of San Francisco through a Y Combinator company. And we started off in the payment fraud business. So, essentially, our objective was to stop fraudsters or criminals and bad actors out there that are online using stolen credit cards and different things like that to conduct fraud. And so our essential take on it was to uh, use machine learning and other forms of technology to outsmart these fraudsters to protect uh, the internet. So overall, what we really want to do at the end of the day is create a space or make an internet that is safer uh, and where people feel that they can trust it and be their authentic selves. And really, that's where we have since evolved from more of a payment fraud uh, platform that's using machine learning to really something that's focused more around digital trust and safety, where fraud these days can happen from a whole bunch of different vectors. So that's really about the company itself. And um, yeah, great to be here. So what's the mechanics of the solution? Is this like a, a plug-in for e-commerce stores or does it go way beyond that? Like who are typical customers? So typically we certainly service plenty of e-commerce providers. So um, actually our first customer was Airbnb. So uh, that's a, a marketplace if you're not familiar with it, where people can post their homes or apartments or uh, their their rooms for, for rent. And um, so we service a lot of companies like that and also traditional uh, e-commerce companies like a Wayfair or a Harry's uh, as well. And they'll use our tech to stop credit card fraud. And these days, unfortunately, since data breaches are more common, things like account takeover or um, fake accounts. So you might have some people going online, online to, let's say, a, a company like Twitter. Uh, they have to deal with trolling and fake accounts and fake news. Um, so companies like Twitter will use us to protect their platform and their users against that type of bad activity. So how would you protect against what someone would have considered to be fake news? Sure. So, uh, yeah, so uh, that's actually very near and dear to my heart. So prior to joining SIFT, I worked at Facebook actually and helped uh, monitor against spam, scams, and malware. And so when we look at uh, fake news and trolling, most often where it really gets bad is not necessarily one person creating one account uh, doing bad things. What it really is, is actors creating bulk accounts, um, whether they're fake, 
um, or doing mass account takeover where they will take over other people's accounts and start spamming the ecosystem from that front. And so what we've created is the ability to look at different user behavior and we're essentially able to understand the differences between natural and normal behavior versus inauthentic behavior. And so let's take fake news as an example. Where it does get bad is if it becomes at scale, it it starts spreading and kind of going viral. And oftentimes those are proliferated by fake accounts. And so if you're able to stop those fake accounts from being created or the exposure of those fake accounts to your real authentic uh, platform, then you're able to curb some of that bad activity. So if someone, uh, do they generate accounts for use later or they take over existing accounts from other people and then pose as them and post things? So from a fraud standpoint, it's usually the path of least resistance, right? So right now there's a mix, but um, if you can essentially, if you can get away with creating hundreds or thousands of fake accounts and then posting bad or spammy content, you're going to do that as a fraudster. It's the easiest path in. Um, Most companies, the good news is most companies have started adopting more advanced technology to stop that basic kind of scripting behavior. Um, But the ROI on, from a fraud perspective, is still high enough where the fraudsters have upped their game, where they're now either taking over accounts or uh, doing more sophisticated types of attacks um, to circumvent those things. And so that's really where um, ATO starts to kick in and uh, where, unfortunately, from a damage control perspective, uh, if you're a Facebook or a Twitter, for example, you can you could shut down those accounts, but hey, there's still a real user at the end of the day. So you have to do some remediation, clean up, and then return that account, hopefully in the same condition that it was prior to that uh, exposure. How do you tell if an account has been compromised? Oh, sure. So there's a lot of different signals to look at. So one way I try to couch it is if, for example, um, you have an iPhone or an Android phone and you're using, let's say, the Instagram app or uh, let's say Expedia or some other um, travel related app, it's pretty astonishing how much information you as a user are passively giving to that app. So let's take Uber, for example. Uh, you can use it for rides and order food, et cetera. The way that you interact on that app is actually pretty much tailored to you. Um, you don't necessarily share your app or your phone with too many other people. Uh, and because of that, you're able to establish some sort of pattern in terms of how you buy, how you consume, how you just use that app. And if there is an account takeover scenario, um, the behavior will certainly change. So let's say for Uber Eats, you order it once a week and the average order value is $50. If there is an account takeover, um, let's say suddenly uh, you move from, I'm based in San Francisco, uh, and you move from SF to Los Angeles or New York, and the average order value goes from $50 to $300. All those are really kind of telltale signs that something might be amiss or something's different here. And so you as a merchant or as a merchant of record may want to take a deeper look at at what's going on there. What about looking at the language that the user, like the keyword cloud, and see if that changes dramatically or the location or other things? Sure. Certainly you want to look at things like IP device fingerprinting, for example, um, time zone. So one of those signals that often maybe goes a little bit unnoticed. Um, So let's say we're in that 
I'm, I'm, let's go that with that Uber Eats example where I'm, uh, my time zone on my phone is set to Pacific Standard Time. Uh, English is the default language. If suddenly, even if I'm logging in from New York, um, maybe I have a New York time zone, maybe I have a Russian time zone, um, maybe my language settings for some reason have switched from English to Russian, uh, but everything else looks normal. Those are all kind of good indications that um, something might be awry or amiss here. So let's take, um, let's say an example with DoorDash, where a user, if I'm using the app as a legitimate user, I'm coming from San Francisco, I'm coming from a uh, an Android phone. Then if suddenly my location changes to uh, New York and my time zone changes to Russia uh, or the default language on my phone Let's say it's an Android phone. It moves to an iPhone, uh, and the presets are um, to a Russian Russian language. All those things are telltale signs that something might be amiss or awry. Uh, but there is a ton of passive data that users readily give up in order to to use that app or or go through that website, and all those things can be essentially mined uh, for particular security purposes and uh, monitor for fraud. Any um. And a really interesting or revealing type of parameters that you can talk about that you found? Um, so some interesting ones might be, so let's say um, you have an iPhone here. And so the level of fraud or abusive activity that comes from iPhone 11s is significantly less than what comes from iPhone 7s or, or 6s. And the reason for that is you don't need the latest and greatest technology or an iPhone to perpetrate bad activity. An iPhone 6 will get you there. And so if you are the fraudster, as you're running your business, you have an ROI, you have um, overhead costs and things like that. You don't want to be spending $1,000 on the newest piece of equipment when you can buy something that's refurbished off the rack. And so that's one telltale sign. Another one might be if you suddenly, sure, if you, there's another one where if you switch from uh, let's say one operating system to another. So if you move from an iOS device to an Android device or vice versa, that can be a sign of something's wrong. Um, and another one, another positive signal that something might be um, going on is if you, let's say you're staying within the same family, but instead of going to, let's say an iPhone 10 operating system, you move back to an iPhone uh, or a previous version, whether it's a browser, like a Chrome browser, or if it's just an operating system within a particular um, family of, of devices. And so those are things that to a normal user, you may not think about, but from a fraud standpoint, definitely um, come to mind. We can't take over trolling, that kind of thing. Um, in terms of just straight up fraud, you know, financial fraud, are there any new things in that arena? I think the newest things there, unfortunately, what companies are talking to me most about is around account takeover via social engineering. And so now that, like I said earlier, companies by and large have upped the stakes or upped the game in the sense of, okay, all these fake accounts that are being created, we're going to be pretty good at spotting them now. And as a result, fraudsters have increased their level of sophistication where they're going after other people's real accounts. And so that's creating a whole new shift in the sense of how do you deal with not only 
still spam and scams um, and other bad activity, but now you also have to deal with a real user. And oftentimes these are VIPs or your most valuable users. Companies pay a lot of money to acquire customers. And if you're losing uh, a real customer, it can be extraordinarily damaging. Something I tell companies uh, when I consult with them is if there is an account takeover scenario, um, you may be able to recover that account and give that account back to that person. But what is really damaged there is the level of trust that that customer has in the company. Um, and so something that actually my uh, a coach of mine used to tell me when I, when I was younger, trust is earned in drops and lost in buckets. And so if that trust is compromised, it takes a long, long time to recover from that. And I've seen that time and time again at companies where, whether it's a Facebook or other uh, tech companies, once those accounts are compromised, even if you do return those accounts to the rightful uh, cardholders or the, the users, oftentimes they take their business elsewhere. And if you, for example, calculate lifetime value of a customer, if that's something your business does, suddenly we're talking, it's a lot more than just a, $5 cup of coffee that was um, used to, that was stolen. Like, I have no idea how much my lifetime value at Starbucks is, but if my Starbucks account was taken over, um, Starbucks can give me back my account, but there's a good chance I might take my business elsewhere. And so they'd be losing out, not just on the $5 cup of coffee or, what, or whatever was charged, but all of my future transactions as well. Is there a way for um, hackers to scan from the outside and look at, um, your account mix, whether in terms of like activity, number of logins, amount held in an account, if it's a financial account, I mean, things like that. Are there ways for them to see from the outside which the juiciest ones are to take over? Oh, most definitely. So something that my team does on a regular basis is essentially searches on the dark web on different marketplaces, and we look at how much credentials for different companies cost. So for an Amazon account, for example, you can see how many points are in that account, if there's a card on file, um, and you have access to the username and password, you can see previous transaction history, shipping address, and all those types of things. And unfortunately, they all have a price. And if someone has a lot of data on a particular account, or there's a high value in terms of airline miles, hotel points, gift cards, whatever's on that particular account, uh, they can sell for quite a bit of money. Any idea on how these hackers figure this out from the outside? Unfortunately, it comes with data breaches. So there's two ways this can happen, really. One is if a user's account gets some sort of malware or, or comp their, their laptop or their phone gets compromised. And so hackers are getting information through that vehicle. On the other side, you can be the most secure buyer out there where every site you visit, you have a new password, a new username. Uh, you don't, yeah, you don't duplicate anything and you can be really, really good about that stuff. But if the company that you are trusting with your, your credentials is compromised, you're, you're, you're toast, at least for that particular business. Um, and unfortunately yeah. when it comes to password hygiene, most people don't have a new password or username for every single website they go to or that they're doing business on. Usually the username is their email address, okay? Passwords, there's really not too much variation there as well, where I think it's over 65, 66% of people use the same password uh, over and over again. 
uh, and that goes for their work passwords or their their personal passwords. And so, uh, once something is compromised, if they're not really diligent about it, then that password and those credentials can be used across multiple sites across the web. Yeah, it's really bad. Maybe what are you supposed to do? There's everyone's dealt with vendors that make you change the password all the time. It's a gigantic pain in the ass. Especially they want one capital, one lowercase, one number, one symbol, and it's like, come on, you know. Uh, a minimum 13 characters you forgot <laughs> so um yeah it's it's a huge friction point right now and unfortunately the, the way that i see it or the way that sif sees it is we live in a kind of almost uh, a world where credentials have already been compromised and so to that end what can you do from a behavioral standpoint to spot this activity one of the really powerful things about SIFT is we are a more collaborative environment where really what we see every day, like every day, fraudsters are collaborating with each other to exploit all of our platforms out there. There needs to be a way for businesses to also collaborate to fight back. And that's really what SIFT has created, where we've created a data infrastructure where companies can share anonymously their information. So if one company is being attacked, then every other company within that global network will know that and be able to take action accordingly. And so that's given us some sort of leverage to fight back that and also uh, the AI and the, mach- the machine learning that comes with um, our suite. Okay. Is this, what size of business can take advantage of this? Do you need to have a certain number of employees or revenue? No, it's actually relatively easy to sign up in terms of integration. Uh, we work with, some of the largest companies in the world that are publicly traded out there. Um, but we also work with plenty of small and medium-sized businesses. Um, and the reason why uh, is because fraud, it is quite, uh, it's quite broad. It doesn't uh, care if you're a small business or an enterprise. Um, it will go after you and try and take advantage of you uh, if it's within their ROI or with it, if it's within their interest. Um, SIFT actually launched a, a survey not too long ago where um, if you, for example, um, are a fraudster and you conduct ATO activity, 92% of the time you are doing other types of fraud, uh, w- which is to say some sort of payment-related fraud or content like spam or scams-related fraud. And so you the, these fraudsters are incredibly kind of clever and willing to attack multiple businesses. And so uh, we need companies like SIF to come together to pool this data to fight back. Yeah, that makes sense. Any um, upcoming schemes you've seen that are particularly terrifying or interesting or to watch out for? The most terrifying ones, I think it comes down to, to people. It's in some cases the problem and in many ways the solution where we can build the best defenses possible from a uh, a machine or artificial intelligence standpoint. Um, and fraudsters know that. Uh, and now what they're trying to do oftentimes is call into different call centers uh, to acquire uh, a user's information. Or um, let's say a fraudster is going after the consumer. So they might they might send um, phishing me- emails or um, other things that look very, very legitimate to get those users to log into their account uh, or, or what looks to be their account but is actually just um, a phishing site or um, a site that is that looks like their Wells Fargo account or their Chase account, but in fact is actually the fraudster's uh, kind of 
site that's used to collect the username and password so they so they can go on to the real site. So it's incredibly different difficult from that perspective, but it's absolutely a fight that I think we can win uh, as long as we continue to collaborate and are willing to uh, take the right kind of te- technological advancements. Well, very good. So um, people can go to sift.com or what's the best way for them to follow up? Uh, the best way to follow up is sift.com um, to learn more about our products, whether you have a payment abuse problem, content abuse, account takeover, fake accounts. Really, we've built a system that can address multiple vectors of abuse um, and do so in such a way that not only stops that abuse, but one thing I think many, many people lose sight of is the fact that 99 plus percent of the people going to your website want to be on your website, want to engage in the right way, get from A to B as quickly as possible, and then move on. And there is a nation is really trying to do a disproportionate amount of damage. And so we still need to protect uh, from that type of bad activity. Um, but with the right tools in place, what you can do is apply friction, not only not to the entire population, but dynamically to the right people at the right time. And in this case, it's those fraudsters where um, you want to give them the most frictionful experiences possible. Um, but for the 99 plus percent out there, what can you do to provide that one-click functionality? Not everybody, not every company can be like an Amazon and have those resources. Sift was created to really level the playing field there and enable more of these businesses to create those types of experiences. Well, very good. Kevin, thank you for coming on the call. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.